Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is April the 23rd, 2020, and this is episode 2646 of the Survival Podcast. And we're going to talk about what else today? COVID. Uh, and we're really going to talk about nothing but this today. And it's going to be an interesting topic, and... It's not the type of thing I usually do. Most of my episodes, I would say, are largely evergreen, meaning that you can go back and pick up an episode, let's say 800 and something, and you can listen to it. And you could probably listen to it today as much as you could have back then because it's on a hard skill, it's on a concept or something like that. I would say that wasn't as true in like the first year when I was still podcasting from my car. I was using a lot of um, uh, current news and events uh, to, to do the show with because it was difficult to come up with a show every day you could do in your car. As I moved into doing this full time, I really sh have struggled and, uh, at times to not talk too much about politics or news or media um, because I don't like putting out an hour of content to an hour and a half of content that I have hours of work into, that I've poured everything into, and if you listen to it in three months, you're like, nah, who cares? That was, that was three months ago. But there are times for it, and I think now's the time for it. And I do think this one will have some timelessness to it, and it will either age really well like a fine wine or it will age like a turd. I could be totally wrong here, but I, I don't think that I am, and I think more and more evidence is showing how unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, right I am. Today's show is actually titled, How Wrong Have Our Choices on COVID Been? And specifically, I'm talking about our choice to, to train wreck the United States economy and basically the entire economy of the Western world. And I think it's been a massive, massive mistake. And the more we learn the more this seems to be true. I'm going to tell you today about a pretty impressive piece of mathematical work that was put out by a scientist that basically says your lockdowns haven't done anything. They haven't done anything past what basic social distancing would do. So this is a guy, much like me, he's not saying we should all be out swapping spit in nightclubs again. He's not saying that everybody should be you know, in the, in the subway tubes uh, with each other 10 hours a day or something like that. He's saying that the basic precautions that we can take, along with protecting the most vulnerable, are about all we can do. And in general, if we do that, or if we train wreck everything, the numbers look almost exactly the same. And we'll talk more about that when we get to it. I want to start out, though, with our quote of the day. I'm going to do something I don't generally do. I'm quoting a fictitious character. And not like a one from really great literature, and not even one from a really great movie. Honestly, I think the only reason that I even saw this movie in the first place, because it's a pretty cheesy, crappy movie, um, was because I was in the Army, I was in Panama, and the place that I hung out the most was the NCO Club, specifically the floor of the three-story NCO Club in, in Fort Clayton, Panama, that was a country bar. And it's where all my friends were... And, I, I've always kind of been like a, a, a country boy at heart, really. Uh, redneck hippie duck farmer. Before I was a redneck hippie duck farmer, I already was. Like a sculpture, you know. A good sculptor says, I didn't make that sculpture of an eagle. There was an eagle inside that rock, and I brought it out. Like, my life just eventually revealed what I was. I think that's true of many of us. So anyway, I was always that person, and I'd gotten really homesick by the point that this movie came out. Um, I was short time. I was under probably eight, nine months left in my enlistment. And all I wanted to do was go home and be out in the mountains. And this movie really has nothing to do with the mountains, but it has to do with going home. A lot to do with going home if you've never seen it. It's very, obviously, it's a very old movie if I was in the Army when it came out. And there weren't a lot of choices for movies uh, as well. But a, a huge group of us went and saw this movie. 
which starred, of course, George Strait, and it was his first and last endeavor, as far as I know, as an actor. Great singer, not the best actor. But there's a character in it, and he's probably the best character in the whole thing, and it's the old man that runs the ranch that he ends up on, and father of the daughter he falls in love with and what have you. And his name in the movie is Ernest Tucker. And there's a point where George Strait's character, uh, who I believe is Wyatt Dustin is the name they give him, as a, and he's a famous country music singer in the movie, huh? not a big stretch, um, but he says, well, I guess. And Ernest says back to him, You guess. Never guess. I mean, you got to know what you're doing. Never guess. You got to know what you're doing. Now, he's talking about it not so much from you got to know everything, but you got to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think we can take that quote two different ways. We can use it to justify analysis paralysis. You got to know what you're doing before you act. Well, then you'll never do anything. That's not what the old man's talking about. But if we, even if we take it that way, There is a point where when you make a decision, you have to know what you're doing before you make that decision. You have to know what that decision means. And you have to know what different decisions mean. And you have to know why you're making the decision that you're making. We really do. So, I mean, the way that relates to this show is what have we been told for months now? Stay at home and save lives. It's a creed we're all supposed to follow. I mean, apparently, if I go out and take a walk by myself in the woods at a local park, what I'm doing is akin to shooting an old person in the face. That's the way some people act. According to Governor Gretchen uh, Whitmer from uh, Michigan, I guess all Texans are killing people because if you, if you live in Texas and you go to Walmart, you can buy seeds in a garden hose when you're at Walmart to buy food, which is already open and full of people anyway. And in, in, in Michigan, apparently, like if you go buy seeds while you're at Walmart, you're killing people. My problem with the lockdown strategy is it's ignoring facts in preference to catchphrases. This is something I've long said is dangerous to Americans. We have kids in the college world, you know, with $200,000 in debt for a degree who are serving up lattes at Starbucks due to phrases like every child should go to college. At least if the Starbucks they work at still has them employed, you know, because even they can go through the drive-thru. There's a lot of jobs lost even at Starbucks right now. Um... But the belief is that if you object to any statement like every child should go to college, it's inherently evil. If I even ask a question to its validity, it means I want to deny education to minorities and transgendered Asians or something like that. Um, you know, though, at least college is voluntary. No one makes you take a loan for a degree uh, in gender studies. You choose to do that. I mean, I know kids are stupid and parents usher them into it, but in the end it still is voluntary. Um, lockdowns are not voluntary, and they are train-wrecking the economy in ways we can't even really imagine or understand yet. But for now, I think we can turn everything back on and get a reasonable outlook into where we're going in about a year. And I, I do think it'll take that long to really get the economy revving again. I think the stock market can recover long before you recover. And that's something that's important to understand in this. How much longer, though, can we behave this way and expect to not create a global depression? And I said it, yeah, depression. I mean, if you keep the shit up for too long, you'll be longing for the good old days of the Great Recession of the 2000s or the stagflation of the 70s. It doesn't have to be this way. And it seems that enough people are willing to get back to work to head it off. And enough governors have enough brains to start letting that happen But man, the objections and screeching that millions will die are being set off like warning sirens in the middle of a tornadic storm. Is there any evidence supporting this claim, though, that if we just begin to reopen the economy, millions are going to die? No, not, not really. There's, there's really no evidence for that. There are plenty of opinions, and many of these opinions are from experts, with big air quotes around it, But asking an expert for evidence supporting an opinion is not a sin and shouldn't be treated like one. Presenting evidence contrary to such opinions is also not a sin. Is there evidence, though, that, say, social distancing, facial coverings, no large gatherings, and protecting the vulnerable are just as effective, or close to it anyway, as a full lockdown and controlling the spread of COVID? Yes, and the evidence for this is increasingly, increasing consistently. Over six weeks ago, I said in a Facebook post, the post-mortem on this overreaction will be ugly. How ugly is the only question to ask. 
Not if it will be ugly, but how bad will it be? We are not ready for a full postmortem yet, but we can begin to see the answer to my question is likely to be very, very ugly. How much damage are we doing and for how little a gain? Well, a man has presented math that says the lockdowns basically just don't work. And he's gotten a lot of hate for it, a lot of vitriol, a lot of angry people shouting at him. But the reason that I, uh, I take what he says to be mostly valid is he's gotten absolutely zero logical rebuttals. This man is a, a political scientist. He's very good at mathematics. I was going to read his article, but it's very, very long. And it's very factually based, and it's very mathematically based. And um, hence, if I read it, I might fall asleep while I'm reading it. And even if I don't, you will probably fall asleep. You, you can read this article and not fall asleep. But if you read it out loud to people on a microphone, it is going to just go on and on and on. Um, Because there's parts of it you'll go like, okay, I get that, and you'll kind of skip past that. And what does a p-value mean? Oh, it means this. And um, But it's very intellectually written, which is what we need to be doing right now, being intellectual. See, but my, my view is if this was extremely flawed mathematically, and he's made all his uh, models available to anybody that will request them, and he's basically said, okay, if I'm wrong, take my models, change them, adjust them, show your work and prove the models wrong. And instead of, well, let me do that for you, since I'm an expert that says we need to lock everybody down or two million people will die next week, he's gotten, you want people to die. I mean, it's gotten to be completely ridiculous to anything you say, you want people to die, autistic screeching everywhere. But what he did, I'll give you the summary of what he did. And then you can read, I have a link to the article in the show notes today. I've shared it on social media. I, I, I welcome anybody who's better at math than me to request this man's models and prove them wrong. Because if they're wrong, I want to know they're wrong. They don't seem wrong. What he's claimed anyway is he's taken this and said, here's these states, a small group of states that did not lock everybody down. They did not close all the businesses. They did not close all the restaurants. They put social distancing. They banned large gatherings. They did all those things. Some of them have mask orders. Some of them don't. But... Um, these are not all podunk states. One of them, I don't remember if it's North or South Carolina, but it's one of the Carolinas. And their numbers, when you factor everything in, look no better or worse than the rest of the country or really the rest of the Western world. And he looks at Europe as well, including Sweden, some things like that. And I'll give you some mitigation on Sweden from my viewpoint, but up until... Now, no one had presented the data he's presented to me because he has adjusted for population and population density. In other words, if this is true, and if this worked in New York City, even though it's incredibly populous and incredibly population dense, then this place over here, based on all these variables and factors, if we just hold one factor true, the, the, the social distancing on or off, or I mean the lockdown on or off, social distancing versus lockdown, then this is what this should look like if this is true. And doesn't change. The basic upshoot is it's like a 94 percentile that it doesn't do hardly anything at all to lock people down versus simply to social distance. And again, no one has proven these models wrong. And they've been up for a few days anyway. All these experts that keep telling you that you have to stay home or you're going to kill people, um, none of them have said, here, let me just show you why you're wrong. See, because I think that if you can prove something wrong, you present evidence to show that it's wrong. If you can make a logical case, even if you can't use evidence, but you can use logic and reason, then you do that. When you resort to name-calling and shouting and, and what have you, then no. And, it, you know, if the, if the guy was saying, I have mathematical proof that the earth is flat, and you just said you're a moron, okay, fine. Okay, fine. But this claim, and that's what, what people are acting like, this claim that we have to lock down or, or 2 million people will die. When the IME model that says 2 million people would die was proven wrong when we did social distancing and lockdowns. They said, in the best case scenario, we're looking at 150,000, 200,000, 250,000 people with all the mitigation we're going to do. This is the this is as good as it gets. And then it went to 80,000, and now it's around 60,000. And that looks like it's right, because if you model something long enough, eventually facts make your model correct as you adjust your model to meet your facts. 
Right, so the same model that said it was going to be 2 million people if we didn't do this is the one that said it was going to be 200,000 plus even if we did, which was wrong. So when somebody's that wrong, then the person opposing them cannot be put on the same footing with someone that's a flat-earth conspiracy theorist. It can't be. You, you have to at least examine the case being made by the opposition. And then if you want to refute the opposition, you owe it to the people that you're telling what to do to do so with logic and reason and evidence and facts and numbers, especially when the case has been made with logic and reasoning and facts and numbers. Because one thing you can say about this man's case, whether you agree with it or not, it is, it is very well backed by numbers. And anybody, see, that's the thing about math. Anybody can then take the math and examine it. And, and math is a constant, right? We put variables into mathematics, but math itself is a constant in that 2 plus 2 is 4, and we can check that. There's actually a hundred or more ways to check if 2 and 2 is 4. When we just put 2 plus 2 is 4 as, as, as symbology down with an equal sign and write 4 as a symbol, we're, we're making a representation of something. That doesn't actually prove anything. But when we, you know, when we take two of something and two of something and we put it together and we count four using the, the, the words we've decided mean one, 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 two, three, four, then we can check that sum. And we can check the two and two is four by adding three and one. We can check the two and two is four by taking five and subtracting one. We can check the two and two is four by taking ten and subtracting six. You see, no matter what happens, we get back to four if we're leaving two groups of two. That's how math works. And that's why math is to be respected. And that's why if you're going to counter mathematics, you do it with mathematics. Well, nobody's done that. All they've done is scream and screech that this guy wants to kill people and murder people and grandma's going to die because of him. And that, 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 is, that is hysterical lunacy. That's not a logical refutation. And I think part of that is that some, some people right now are so vested in this being it had to be done that it's really hard to accept that it, it didn't. And I'm talking about the housewife, or et cetera, that's been dealing with all this shit, just sitting home. The one that even is doing okay financially because she's getting her government money or whatever it is, or she's working from home, or she's a state employee and she's still getting paid, and she just wants everybody to stay home, but it's still been hard on her, and she knows it's been hard on other people she knows and friends and family, but at least it's justified. Getting that person to now admit that they were wrong, that the instructions they were given were wrong, the people that told them they had to were wrong, that the nice short gray-headed man on TV and the nice older lady are both wrong. It's very difficult because she's vested in it. Now, imagine how vested um, Gretchen Whitmore is in her edict that you not buy seeds or a garden hose or a bag of potting soil or a shirt when you're at Walmart. How vested people are in the fact that it's going to be crazy that Governor Abbott, starting a Monday, will let you order clothing from Kohl's and go pick it up at the door. Because that's the big evil that Texas is doing with our first stage of reopening. Yeah, we're not reopening all the dance clubs or something like that. We're we're starting out like reopening retail locations and saying, okay, people can basically go online or call you or however you want to handle it, tell you what they want, pay you for it over the phone, and then somebody can take their stuff out to them. Well, right now people are going inside Walmart to buy pancake mix, but they would prefer that you order it and have a pancake mix brought out to you. So how is doing that at Kohl's any different? I mean, this is not crazy talk. And the beauty of it is, by doing it in stages and phases, you can see if the gentleman that wrote this article and did this mathematical modeling is right. If he's wrong, that as we open up pieces of the economy, about two weeks into that, you should start to see the numbers go back up. If the numbers don't start going back up, then you're wrong. And then we can go to the next stage. And if the numbers don't go back up, then you're wrong. But they're not doing testing right. Calm down with your artistic screeching. But they're doing testing in higher numbers, more accurately, better than they ever have been. We already have more daily cases simply due to more and better testing. We already have an artificial number of new cases relative to the number of cases from four weeks ago. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the number that we're getting today for new cases. It means that four weeks ago, 
with the same amount of cases, you would have gotten less. So the curve is already being delayed in decline due to more and better testing. I didn't say perfect, but we have to make decisions with the information that we have. And, you know, I checked yesterday, and just in Tarrant County alone, there are like six locations I can go drive through and get tested. And uh, I made a few uh, contacts with some people that were in the area and said, could you do me a favor if, if at any point today you can get by one of these locations and see what's going on there? And just let me know. And of like five contacts, two people got back to me and said, yeah, I can cruise by there. And albeit, both of these people drove by like in the middle of the day, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon for one and like 1.30 for the other. But both of them said, well, there was one car at one location and nobody at the other. So I don't think that means that it was that way all day long. But what I do think it means is if you have symptoms and you qualify with pre-screening, and you want to get a test in Tarrant County, you can go get tested. And Tarrant County isn't exactly the metropolis that you know, New York City or, or Trent, New Jersey, or something like that is. So my estimation is that most people that are symptomatic anyway can go get tested. Would it be better if we were testing more people? If it would be better if we were doing more batch testing? Would it be better if we were doing antibody? Yes. But the numbers coming in as to how many new cases there are, how many recoveries we have, are better than the numbers that we're basing the entire decision to do this on in the first place. We made this decision in most of the country about five to six weeks ago to start these lockdowns based on numbers we had then, and the numbers we have now are not worse, they're better. And I don't mean in their results, I mean in how accurate they are. We can't make that go away because we don't like what it means. And I think a lot of people do want it to go away because they don't like what it means. It means this was all a mistake. That's very hard to live with as a politician. But it's also very hard to live with as a person. And we want to err to the side of caution, but we need to ask ourselves a question. How bad is the economic damage and how long before it overloads the hospitals? That's right. The economic damage overloads the hospitals. Let me explain something to those of you that don't understand this. This can't go on until the end of summer. We can't do it. It certainly can't go on, like some of you loons are saying, for 18 months or more until there's a vaccine or whatever. No, we can't do it. You can't keep running the economy this way. I don't care how many bailouts the government does. We can even ignore inflation. We can ignore artificial monetary creation. We can ignore all that for the sake of this argument and say that printing you know, $6 trillion more by the end of the year won't wreck the economy. We can ignore that. Not that it won't. Don't Don't... But just, I don't have to argue that point to explain to you why we can't do this. If you don't get the economy actually running again with real people doing real things out in the real world, this idea that all of the people that work for Walmart, all the people that work for port processing plants, all the people that work all over the place can just keep doing the essential services with quotes around them, and that you will be able to, in August, continue to just order food to your door with your government subsidy money, your unemployment money, or your work-at-home money, and the food will keep coming to your house, is a fantasy. It's a fantasy. There will be a point, if, if the government doesn't start doing this in phases now, where they will lose control. And you cannot implement national martial law for this. Maybe they can do it in New York City. But you can't do it from Florida to Washington and California to Maine and Texas to, to, to North Dakota. You can't do it. And if you don't give people something reasonable to the way you're going to decouple from this, how long before you're like, you know what, I'm going back to work? You call up your boss and say, hey, you want to get back, you want to get back in the game? And your boss says, yeah. Or your boss calls you and says, hey, you know what, you can come back to work. I don't care what they say. I'm, going to, I'm putting people back to work. We're opening up. And how long do you look at your kids going hungry before you say, I'm going back to work, I don't give a shit what they say? When it's two people, when it's one guy on a bus without a mask, yeah, you can send five cops to drag one guy off a bus with a mask. What are you going to do when 300 million Americans say, we're done? I'm done with this. I'm not tolerant. There are going to be 30 million Americans still screaming, everybody's going to die. You can't stop it. And the government knows this. You can take all your lunacy, tinfoil hat, FEMA camp shit and shove it right up your ass. There is a point at which when the ant, you know, the ant and grasshopper story, we'll think of it the way that Disney remade it, 
when 300 million ants tell 10,000 grasshoppers to go screw, the grasshoppers are screwed. The grasshoppers might be bigger than the individual ant, but there's too many ants. And they know this, and that's part of why they're doing this. But if you don't do this, if you somehow get people to stay inside for another two or three months into midsummer or longer, and systems start to break down, you want to hear about overloading the hospitals. You people that are screaming hysterically in hospitals about, we can't do this, I intubated so many people, ah, you need to understand, first of all, you are seeing only the tip and the worst of the worst. You're seeing the first people to get sick because they're the most susceptible, they get the sickest. That's what you're seeing. And I'm sorry, and it sucks, and I hate it for those people. But when you make a decision, you got to know what you're doing when you're affecting the lives of 300-plus million people. You can't just guess. You can't say, because I don't like this one piece of it, then everybody else has to do this other thing. Because you guys are going to be you know, dealing with gunshots and stabbings and beatings like you've never seen before in your life with civil disobedience and robberies and theft and roving gangs. And I was the one to say shut up about that nonsense in the beginning because people were acting like it was going to happen in the first week. And I'm like, no, it's not. But keep it up. Keep it up. And see if that's not what starts to come out of society. One of the nicest people I know in the, in the world of the TSP community, a young gal in Tennessee, just fired her gun for the first time in anger. Now, fortunately for the individual two-legged rats in questions, it was a warning shot. And you can say whatever you want about warning shots, but at least they're gone and they're not dead. And I don't think they're coming back. Because of what was going, and I don't need to give any specifics, because I don't want to give the person's name or anything. You know, if you follow her, you know, and if you don't, you don't. And you don't need to know. My wife got really angry with me as we started to get into this, and she wanted to go to Costco, and I didn't want her to go. And she's like, you're treating me like a child. You don't think I know not to touch my face or whatever. I'm like, no. I'm like, I don't want you coming out with your big cartload of shit into the parking lot while I'm not there with you. And two guys walk up to you, beat the shit out of you, and take your stuff, because that's starting to happen. It might be a low probability, but if I was in that parking lot, and I was a scumbag, and I was looking for someone to do that to, knowing you and how much you're going to buy, and the way you look, and the way you walk, I'd pick you. I'd pick you. That might be a mistake, but I'd do it. You'd be the type of person I would single out. Especially when you open the hatch on the car and you're such a nice person that you don't think anybody's going to do anything bad and I can just walk up to you, enter into a conversation with you and you'll talk to me and the next thing you know, I've harmed you in some way and taken your stuff. That's not happening to you. I'll be there with you and if somebody tries something, they'll really have made the wrong decision. But that is what we're headed for. That's not even to talk about the long-term economic consequences. You people in hospitals that are screaming and yelling about how many people you have to treat, imagine when you start treating people it looks like a war zone. Instead of sick, sick, just sick people, you're dealing with bleeding people and sick people. And again, the mathematical case here is you haven't done what you think you've done, and no one's refuted that with logic, reason, math, numbers, and science, and empirical evidence. No one. It doesn't exist. I think we're making some other big mistakes. So there's been two pork processing plants closed because lots of people at those plants got COVID. I think what you do, when that happens, you get everybody out of there, you test everybody. Everybody that's not sick, you send them back to work. Everybody that is sick, you put them in isolation. You bring in workers to make up for the difference. While you're doing that, you spot completely sanitize and clean the facility and you maybe go back at a reduced strength. Maybe you produce 70% of the output that you were before, but you don't close it down. We need to be treating these facilities the way you treat a hospital. When you know 20 people in a hospital got COVID while treating COVID patients, they didn't close the hospital. They screen everybody, they replace the people they have to replace, and they keep going. Feeding people is important. Pork is one of our most affordable and cheapest meats. If we don't fix that, which is directly attributable to all the rest of this economic shutdown, then you're going to be treating people for malnourishment. I know that some of you are like, no, no. What do you think? You can just keep doing this for, for a year? 
What people are asking for is unreasonable, and the government has conditioned you to believe that it's reasonable. What people want to know is I'm completely safe. You're never completely safe. Over 30,000 people a year die in car accidents. Yeah, but a car accident doesn't spread. It spreads your head open wide when you freaking get hit by a semi. It doesn't matter how you die. It matters that you die. You can't be completely safe. I heard some bullshit the other day where they said you can, you know, COVID is now the leading cause of death in America. No, it's not. Obesity is. Just look at the number of people that die every day in the United States. It dwarfs what COVID is, and the majority of them are either directly or indirectly attributable to obesity. Obesity is the number one killer in America today, because a lot of the other things like kidney disease and shit, it's all related to obesity, diabetes, obesity. Seventy-five percent of diabetics are type two. And 98, 99% of those are directly attributable to diet and obesity. Yeah, I, I'm pandering to the 2% of you that flip your shit every time I say that diabetes, type 2 diabetes can be cured. Okay, it has a 98.5% cure rate. Get over yourself if you're in the 0.15%. If you really are, by the way. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. Because I've, I've had it proven to me that there's a very small segment of people that are type 2 diabetics that are healthy on weight, healthy on diet, and they're still type 2 diabetics. Okay, fine. It's about 1% to 2%. So 98% of the people that die of complications due to type 2 diabetes could have not died if they just didn't eat like pigs and put sugar in their body constantly. Cardiovascular disease, chief cause of that, obesity. You're not going to be completely safe. You're not going to be completely safe. People do get robbed, shot, stabbed. You're not going to be completely safe. You put your socks on. You've taken the step, first step toward putting yourself at risk today. There's plenty of other diseases, illnesses, etc. that come. You're not going to be completely safe. And you're not going to be completely safe from anything that's potentially dangerous. This whole thing when we started teaching people that the government's job was to keep you safe is where everything went wrong. I'm telling you, if you went back to the 1980s when I was a kid growing up and my grandfather would take me to the bars that he would hang out in, little coal miner bars. And it wasn't like, if it sounds bad that you would take a kid to a bar, you're not understanding these kind of bars. These were the social hubs of a small town. You know, I'd go in there, I'm talking like early 80s, so I was like grade school age. Sit up at the bar, they'd buy me ginger ale and pistachios out of the machine, and they'd tell me stories about the mines and the war and stuff like that. It was great. And those men were patriotic to a fault. I mean, there wasn't one of them that you could have went in there and said America sucks to without getting your teeth knocked out of your mouth. And even if they disagreed with the, whoever the current president was, they respected him as a president. It was that kind of patriotism. But if you would have told those men the job of America, America's government, and our local governments, and our state governments to keep us safe, they would have said, like, what do you mean, like from the Russians? Like with nuclear threat or whatever? And if you said, yeah, to that, they'd be like, oh, okay, I, I get what you're saying, you know? Because this is global nuclear war, we have to have a balance of power. Yeah, and he, yeah, these dumb redneck coal miners, they would have understood that balance of power term, right? Because they're that stupid. They don't understand things. You have to explain it to them. No, they would have understood it. But if you said no, like from like a virus, they would have looked at you like you were from outer freaking space with a lizard crawling out of your nose. I mean, really. But today, like, of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. And not just the federal government from a national defense standpoint, like these men would have accepted. Every layer of government is supposed to keep us safe. This is, this is nonsense. And it's why we're so easy to manipulate, so easy to scare. What would effective social distancing and containment policy look like? What are those of us are saying you have to open this back up advocating? Are we advocating to just go back to normal? I don't think most of us are. I think a very small, very vocal segment is. But I think most people are like, okay, this is a real disease. For some portion of the people that it hits, it is really bad. And we owe it to people to be responsible. So I think what, what, what social distancing looks like is you, first of all, do where we started. If someone can work from home and they work from you, you make accommodations for them to work from home. You just do that. And there's a lot of people that can work from home. They are working from home right now. You and if you if you bring back the rest of the economy, they might be able to continue working from home. Number two, if we need to make specific accommodations, including funding, to allow certain people to isolate themselves, we do that. 
We need massive ability to screen anybody that works in an elder care facility of any kind, convalescent homes, etc. Right? That all has to happen. And I think a lot of that is beginning to happen. Um, I think a lot of retail stores and stuff like that, you do kind of go to like a curbside pickup model, at least at first, until you see what happens. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I do think there's a point where you have to open some things that seem like maybe they're not the best idea, but they're, they are necessary and we're really hurting the economy more than we're helping anybody. And that would be things like a nail salon or a hair salon. And I'll get to that in a second. I do think we can open those up. And I'm going to tell you the story of one in Dallas where the lady says, I'm doing it, whether you say I can or not. See, as I said, there's a point where people say, I'm doing this, and if you want to arrest me, you're going to have to come arrest me for this. I'm not going to let you just tell me no. And when it's one person, maybe they'll shut her down. But when it's a hundred or a thousand, you're not going to be able to do it anymore. And that's why you have to do something like I'm talking, this model I'm talking about. I think that you say, you know, gatherings over a certain size. No. But I think this idea that you can't go visit your family, I can't, I'm, you know, right now, legally, if, if I want my son and my daughter-in-law to come spend the weekend with us for, you know, Saturday and have a, a cookout in our backyard, which is pretty non-dense population-wise with those people, we can't. But it's totally okay that we have the kids here every day because, well, both of the my, my son and my daughter-in-law have essential jobs. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you could get sick from them. I, I could. It's possible. I really wish we could all get antibody testing really easily. That would make this decision a little easier. But the kids are a vector anyway. So what am I, what am I really mitigating there? And isn't it my choice? I'm not risking your life by having my son at my house. My son either does or does not carry this thing asymptomatically during that particular period. And whether or not you get it has nothing to do with him coming here. There's no, there's no scientific way to explain away my case there. There's only emotion. And emotion is not what we should be making a decision like this based on. So it's, it's a model that looks a lot like, to be fair to the orange man, the, the, the plan that he's put out. Now, some people are screaming, this governor's not following the plan that he's using as justification to open his state. They're the same people that said Donald Trump didn't have the power to close or open the states in the first place. That governor of Georgia, for instance, has a right to make his decision. And then the beauty of a federal republic is we can look at the numbers in Georgia and see if that's a bad decision. And I think Georgia will be looking at Georgia's own numbers and making that same determination and go, okay, we have to turn that particular thing off. But don't you think it makes sense that now that we've done this, we've gone into almost a total shutdown mode, to start saying, let's turn this part of the faucet on and let's watch. Let's watch. Okay. Okay. Nothing bad happened there. Okay, let's turn this one on a little bit and let's watch. Okay. Okay, let's open this one a little bit more. Okay. That's, I mean, there's cases, but it's not any worse. Okay, let's look at this one over here. Let's turn that, okay? And if we happen to be, oh, let's clamp that back down and see what happens. Okay, it went away. Was it a was it a blip? Was it an aberration? Was it real? Let's open that one. Oh, okay, it's that one. Let's keep that closed and figure out how do we do as much as we possibly can without having two million dead people. Isn't that a reasonable assertion? But somebody might die who wouldn't. Somebody's going to die every day who wouldn't if you did something else. Every day. There's no way around this. There's some decision being made right now that you think is for good that's killing somebody. Somebody's going to blow their brains out because they lost their entire life because of this. And they didn't have to. But you're justifying it because somebody on TV said something and they have a credential. See, I saw somebody posted something about Fauci when, when some of this like um, animosity against Fauci came up and the, the concept of fire Fauci, hashtag fire Fauci came out. And somebody said, does anybody really not have faith in Dr. Fauci's expertise? And I said, I have absolutely no faith in Dr. Fauci or his expertise. None. I have respect for his credentials and his knowledge, but I don't, or it was to believe it. Does, does anybody really not believe in Dr. Fauci's uh, uh, expertise. I said, actually, what I said is um, that it, the question itself 
reeks of an appeal to authority complex. Dr. Fauci is an expert, but I have other experts that are equally or maybe better credentialed saying Dr. Fauci's wrong. Now, I don't have some guy on Medium with no expertise on the subject in question making that claim. That doesn't mean I can refute that gentleman either. Right? I still owe it, if it's a reasonable case, to look at it and refute it, accept it, add to it, mitigate it, whatever. But what I'm talking about is we have absolute, highly, like a guy with five degrees from MIT saying Dr. Fauci's wrong. Okay, one of these experts is wrong. They can't both be right. Now, the truth may lie somewhere between both of their claims, but when they are in diametric opposition of what should be done, you have an expert who's wrong and an expert who's right. There is no reason to believe that just because one of those experts has been appointed to a bureaucratic position, that that one is the one that's right. You have to look at the underlying facts, the underlying logic of their assertion. But we're not doing that. And therefore, the only thing we can do now is say, okay, we, we can't let what we did go to waste. This is my, my view. We, we took these drastic steps. And places where they didn't take as drastic steps, when we factor everything in, it looks like we haven't done much. That really, the number of people infected and the number of people seriously ill seems to be a direct reflection on the health of the population that it circulates in, the total population, and the density of the population. And that if we do social distancing or full lockdowns, we end up with still the same thing. I mean, if you look at the numbers still coming in from Italy, the numbers still coming in from New York, even though things are better, like how are all these people getting infected if this works? And is it just the case that people are going to get infected? If that's the case, if we're, I would put it to you this way. Let's say that all of this shutting down the economy reduces the total number of infections and people that will die by 5%. Is it worth doing? And my answer is absolutely no. It's absolutely not worth doing. Because the harm, and this is, we have to make a decision. People keep calling it a war. That's a good propaganda word. But there's a, there's a point where you do look at it as a war. If, if you tell me as a general, if you send your people in, Right now, to take this island, you're going to send 20,000 troops in, and 500 to 1,000 of your men are going to die. It's very tempting for me to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that then. But what if the, 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 the forecast is not only that will happen, but you'll win. You'll take that island. And then the intelligence is the enemy is massing on that island, and they're going to use it as a launch point. And when they do, they're going to kill 100,000 people. So we need to take them out, and, and we're going to lose 500 to 1,000 men to save 100,000 lives. As much as that sucks, I'm going to take that step. So if all this buys us a 5% reduction in the total number, to destroy the economy of the Western world, it's not worth it. It's terrible if you're one of those 5% that would have lived otherwise, but... A lot of the people that are dying within 12 months would be dead anyway. And again, I know that sounds heartless, and I don't mean it that way, but when we get down to a point where there are going to be deaths and there are going to be evil consequences, there's a point where we do have to, what is the term all of you people that vote and tell me I need to vote, say? Lesser of two evils? Like neither one is good, but one is way worse. I think in this case we're getting to understand that this total lockdown is way worse. And again, we can not waste the fact that we already did it. And we can begin to turn little pieces back on at a time and monitor and see what happens. And that there's nothing about that that's illogical or crazy or saying you want people to die. There are people that believe that the second you open anything up, it's akin to murder. And, and I'm sure they're nice people. I'm sure they have reasons for what they believe. But you can be a nice person, have reasons for what you believe, and what you're saying really still sounds like hysterical lunacy anyway. I'm sorry. It just does. Um, here's the, the Dallas hair salon owner. I, I really have respect for this moment, and I hope it doesn't destroy her life, what she's about to do. And I think it, if it's not Dallas, it's one of the cities right around Dallas, like Mesquite or something like that. She says, Monday I'm opening my salon. And the Dallas mayor or whoever local says, you better not, or the county judge or whoever, you better not, we'll come find you $1,000 an incident or put you in jail. She says, I'm doing it. Well, she did it. She scrubbed this place. Like you ain't never seen. And the way she's going to do it is when you show up, you check in, you stay in your car. 
You stay in your car, and all the chairs are more than six feet apart for everybody that's getting their hair cut. You come in, you have to wear a face covering. The entire staff has to wear a face covering. If you don't have one, they will give you a custom-made one, very nice one, to put on as you come in the door. You get your hair done, and you leave. And then all of the techs wear gloves and masks, have to wash their hands frequently, etc. And if you don't want to go, you don't go. If you do want to go, you go. It's your choice. Now, to me, that's a very good model to open up a pretty risky service. But I think it would be really easy then if somebody starts, somebody contracts COVID and we do some case tracing to say, where did you go? What did you do? And be able to go back and say, ah, this is the, okay, then we do have to shut these down again. Okay, this didn't work. But when we're dealing with an illness that has, at the worst, a 2% lethality rate, and we know it's way lower than that. I don't care what anybody tells you. We know it's way lower than that because we know there's a hell of a lot of infections that are unreported. A massive number. How big is the denominator? How big is it? I don't know. Some people say that it may be 80x. I don't know if that's the case. Some say 50x. I don't know if that's the case. 20x wouldn't even surprise me, though. And it, it really disturbs me that as we're discovering how many more cases there really are and how much lower the fatality rate is, the screams are now, my second deadlier wave this winter! I, get your flu shot! They're already screaming hysterically that you go into next winter, you need to get your flu shot. Now here's why I start to question the intent of the people that are supposedly doing the best they can to help us. I said that I thought this would ebb off in the summer because it would be seasonal. I don't know that I'm right about that at this point. It's pretty warm here in Texas. We don't have that many cases, but we have more than you would think. There's cases in a lot of warm climates. But it sure seems like they're telling us it's seasonal now. Well, it's going to go away for the summer, but it's going to come back in the winter. Well, why? Well, because the cases in the southern hemisphere are going to go up, and then it'll travel here from there in the winter. Well, why? Because they're going into their winter. So you're saying it's seasonal. No. What? I'm sorry. See, there's a point where all that stops connecting to each other. And to already be screaming hysterically that it is your patriotic civic duty to get a flu shot for next winter that's not even available yet because the second wave could be even deadlier than the current wave, it just reeks of bullshit to me. It reeks of bullshit. So let's kind of finish up here with what you should be doing for yourself right now in the middle of all this shit. Number one, I think you need to be preparing for both the economy to reopen and for it to not open fast enough and for there to be long-term bad economic consequences. On some level, I think you should be preserving capital and you should be doing a lot of the things that we've already said to do, which is upping your food production. Anything you can do to make yourself more self-sufficient, you need to be doing that right now. You need to be planning for, what do I do if the loons win this argument and I do end up stuck here for two or three more months? I don't think you need to plan beyond that for being stuck because the natural curve is atrophying to nothing in that time anyway. And there, again, there's the point where people say, we're not doing it anymore. I think you need to really over, go over your security protocols and procedures for your home and for when you go out. I think you will start to see more and more upticks in crime. It'll start with petty theft. It'll get worse from there. Yeah, I, I wish everybody was set up like I am. I don't think you're going to see much of a problem here. You know, I have, I have barbed wire-topped chain-link fence all the way around the property, big giant dogs that bite, guns, signs, and I live in a place where people have a reasonable expectation. If I go into a place like that, somebody's going to shoot me. I'm not a soft target. I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not I'm not Fort Detrick or something like that, but I'm not a soft target. All of these suburban neighborhoods are soft targets. Now, a guy recently found, I think it was in Maryland, that sometimes soft targets aren't soft targets. Two guys that were kitted up in some bullshit that kind of was supposed to make them look like medical personnel, but they looked really fake. It looked like a, like a toy doctor's bag or something the one had. And they had a gun, at least one gun. I don't know if they had two. But they managed to get inside a house. Wrong house. The homeowner of that house was a big some bitch, and he killed one of them and beat the piss out of the other one in the front yard. 
police came and secured the family. No, the police did not. That's what the media said. The police came and secured the family. They recovered the body and found the other suspect. No, they came and secured a corpse. Because the homeowner killed his ass dead. But that house could have been a completely different house and the whole family could have ended up dead in it. I think you need to have a different way you handle things right now. You know, if, if you're sitting there and somebody knocks on your door and there's two guys standing out there and you don't know them, you don't need to be opening that door, which is the mistake the, ha- the, the family made. When they said that we need to come inside and it was some bullshit ruse that had to do with COVID, no, you don't. You can stay there. If you're armed, your doorbell rings or your door gets knocked on and you look out the door, before you even think of opening that door, if you don't know those people, but there's a compelling, you know, like, okay, I probably do need to talk to them. You need to have your gun on you. I'm serious. I, I kind of that's kind of me on a daily basis, you know. Except that no one comes to the door because you can't get to it. But if if someone calls at our gate and I don't know who they are and they don't have a reason to be here that I'm aware of, if I do go out to that gate, don't think I'm going out there without being armed. And don't think I haven't kind of checked them out from the window before I go out the door. You know, and and, and it also could be you know what we don't need any goodbye. No, you don't understand. You need to leave my driveway now. Okay, I'm calling the sheriff. Who will be the least of your problems if you're not out of here soon? And see, I think one of the reasons people get in trouble, too many people want to be nice. My wife will not talk like that to people. That's why I do the talking in that situation. You know, we, when we, the first time we went out after this all started and we're at a store, I'm like, don't be talking to people up close. If you want to talk to somebody from six, eight foot away, that's fine. Some old man's up at her grill talking to her, just being a nice guy. She doesn't want to say no because he's such a nice guy. COVID doesn't care if you're a nice guy. No, she won't do that. She's not going to deal with somebody at a gate the way that I will. They're looking for people like her, people like you that are like her, that don't want to offend anybody. I didn't ask you to come to my gate. I'll offend you all I want. My family's safety is more important to me than offending you. And you need to have some of that attitude. We need to be preparing to deal with the situation as things open back up. You need to have a good face covering. And if you think you look like a geek wearing something like a surgical mask, then you need to get something that you feel more comfortable wearing. And the reason you need to do it is you don't need to cause problems for yourself. Because I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen here as to how governments are going to enforce this. They already came out in Houston. And Harris County in Texas has the most cases of, of COVID in, in, the, in the whole state, about a third of the whole state in, in Houston. And they passed an ordinance that said it's mandatory when you go out in public to wear a face mask. And the police chief came out and said, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Uh, we agree with you. The police chief said, I wear my face covering. I hope everybody does. But we have like 15% of our officers at home in quarantine because they're infected. Um, I think that's, that number's a little high and a little exaggerated, but good for you, Chief, if that's how you're going to make your point. And uh, we can't handle the burden of enforcing this, which is as close to I'm not doing this as I think you're going to get. What they'll do is they'll tell businesses, if you want to open, your employees and your customers must wear a face covering, and they're going to put up a sign. You can't come in without a face covering. That's what's going to happen. You need to be prepared to deal with that if you want to go anywhere. I think you. Sh- I think in spite of the fact that I think we need to open up, if you don't need to be going somewhere, don't. If the place you're going is open, but whatever you need from there you can get, and they will bring it to your car, do that. If you need groceries, and you can go to Tom Thumb or Albertsons or whoever and say, I want all this stuff, and a nice person will bring it to your house and drop it off on your doorbell, ring it and run away, do that. Until we start to see exactly how well this works, that's what you do. If you're going to go to a restaurant, make sure that the restaurant you're going to go to is doing what it's supposed to be doing before you agree to go there. Because all it will take to get a restaurant, let's say you know Bob's Burgers, to start doing what it should be doing is a couple phone calls that go, Hi, Bob's Burgers. I was thinking about coming down and having a burger today since the economy is opening back up. What are you doing For your COVID strategy. And they say, well, obviously our customers can't have a mask on while they eat. But all of our staff can. So all of our staff are wearing masks. We have them wash their hands every 15 minutes. And we've reduced our capacity to 40% so that we can keep tables at least 8 feet away from each other. Okay, well, I'm going to come have a burger. 
And if Bob down at Bob's Burger says, well, we think it's all a scam and we ain't done nothing, okay, well, I'm not coming today. Click. I'll find another place to go. It won't be long before all the Bob's Burgers will be doing something that makes sense. And I think that's how we handle this responsibly together. And you can tell me about all the retards you want to that won't do it. I don't care about them. I care about you. Those people don't listen to shows like the Survival Podcast. They don't. They never have and they never will. They're permanent grasshoppers. That's fine. You're an ant. Behave like an ant. But you need to continue to use good security, good situational awareness. And you need to, as this opens up, if you get the opportunity to shore up some place that you figured out you are weak in your preps, shore it up. Because there is always the possibility that I'm wrong. I'm wrong that they're wrong. And all of a sudden we're like, oh shit, everybody go shelter in place again. I don't think that will happen. I think the more we open up, the more we'll see that this logical case is the right case to make. And I think there's a point, too. There's another point you got to be ready for. Oh, shit. We can't contain it. And we can't stay home. We're just going to have to take it. Protect the vulnerable. And we're going to take it. And I think that is the eventuality you should prepare for as a worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is not staying in your home for 18 months. Because it's not going to happen. It can't happen. People won't let it happen. But we could get to a point where, like, yeah, when we go out, the case count goes up, and we're just at a point now for the world that we have to take it on the chin. All we can do is everything we can to protect the most vulnerable. Yeah, some, you know, one hundredth of one percent of healthy 25-somethings are going to die. Sucks. But it happens. You know, there's other reasons those people die, too, sometimes. Sucks. Sorry. We have to take it. And if you think that's harsh, our forefathers fought the American Revolution in the middle of a smallpox epidemic. And this shit ain't got nothing on smallpox. Especially at the time that we were fighting the revolution in the 1770s. Are you kidding me? Our forefathers would look at us with complete disdain and disgust that we all ran home and hid from a really, 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 really bad flu. It's not the flu. No, it's not the flu, but it's basically the same impact as something like, in fact, it's less of an impact than something like the Spanish flu of 1917 through 1920, at least so far. They would be dismayed that we've become so weak. They would wonder if all the sacrifices they made, if all the lives they sacrificed, if all the fortunes they lost, if it was worth it for a people that would live and cower in such fear. And remember... Not cowering in fear doesn't have to equal being stupid. It doesn't mean we do nothing. But there's plenty we can do without destroying the economy. And again, I think that the more we learn, the more times we test homeless shelters and Navy ships and do randomized testing, the more we see the actual spread of this, the uglier the postmortem's going to get. But there's nothing we can do about that other than point to it, Hope that calmer, rational minds end up in charge as we come out of this. And, and take heart in the fact that states are going faster than other states. Because what will happen is, in time, we will see the model that works best to balance economic rehabilitation without allowing runaway infection. But I just don't think you're going to see runaway infection. I, again, I think that the iceberg is 10, 20, 30 times the tip you see above the surface. And people are like, that makes it harder to contain. No, that makes it where you can't contain it. And what we have to accept is what you're seeing in the hospitals is the worst of the worst. And there's a point where that stops. It doesn't go on forever. It doesn't go on for years. But if we don't change what we're doing economically, it can go on for decades. And the consequences of that are so beyond this thing. It's time to start using logic and reason. And if you can refute this gentleman's mathematics, his models, logically, with your own numbers, please do so. There's a link. Request it. Do it. You know what? No one's done it yet. And I think if it was easy to do, I think somebody would have done it already. we got all these smart geniuses, all these experts, but none of them can say anything other than, you want people to die. That's not a logical refutation.
Don't let it be something that controls you. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. So remember, guys, if you like the show and you want to support us, one of the really easy ways that you can do that is you can do your online shopping at a little website, a little short URL, tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com, you'll help support the work we do no matter what you buy. And a lot of you are buying a lot of things online right now. So, hey, if you can just do it through tspaz, you'll help us and it won't cost you any more money. Uh, you'll also find all of my reviews of items online and at Amazon that I've reviewed. And you'll find one today, item of the day today. They are sand, salt, surf, and sun wicking fishing shirts. And I'm wearing one right now. And it's because as soon as I get done with this, it is beautiful outside, but it is going to be kind of warm today. I'm going to go outside and do some work. And when I sweat, it will pull the sweat off my body and keep me cool. And it will keep me from sunburning on my back, where if I just took my shirt off, I would become a red you know, red demon and uh, give myself potential skin cancer. By the way, the, 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 the complete and total addiction to sunblock seems to have increased skin cancer rates. I won't get into that today, but if you really want to get the skinny on skin cancer, I recommend looking up what Dr. McCullough has to say about it. But I do believe in protecting the skin as a whole is a good thing. These shirts are great for that. They're affordable. They come in really cool designs. They have generic versions by the same company that are just like black or red or gray. Um, nothing much to say about them other than I love them. They come in short and long sleeves. And a lot of people don't want to wear long sleeves when it's hot out. Um, For, like, dress shirts or just hanging out, I like the short sleeves. But when I'm really outside, especially when I'm, like, fishing or something like that, I like the long sleeves. They provide more protection. And when they get wet and it wicks away, it helps cool the body even more. They're just awesome. Again, the brand is Sand, Salt, Surf, and Sun. Um, and they're great whether you fish or not. They're just awesome shirts. You can check them out at the item of the day. But remember, no matter what you buy, you can always help us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. You can also become a member of the support brigade for the site. That means you're helping support the show. Right now it's still on sale for $25 a year. That is an incredibly stupid low price. I don't even know why I went that low. And I said I'm doing it as long as the lockdowns are in place. And as they're starting to come off, I don't really know when I get to stop doing it. I haven't figured that out yet, so I'm going to keep doing it. But the discount code is $25, bucks, 25-B-U-C-K-S, $25. Bucks. Just go to survivalpodcast.com, click on Members and sign up. If you sign up for $25 bucks a year, and you didn't get your money back, plus, in discounts, you didn't use them or want them. I mean, that's all I can say. Like, with over 80 companies you get discounts from, uh, it's a membership program that pays for your, pays for itself at 50 bucks a year, but it's got to be profitable at 25. I'm, I hear from people all the time that make a couple hundred bucks a year off it. Uh, I had one guy email me, and he said, you're right. If I ever decide I hate you, I'm still keeping this because it makes me money. That's how I tried to build it in the first place, so we consider becoming a member today. And now for our song of the day. I'm going to tell you the name of the song, and a lot of you are going to be like, I don't know that song. It's by The Pretenders. It's from 1979. It's called Brass in Pocket. But I'm going to tell you that when you hear the song, unless you've lived under a rock for your whole life, you're going to be like, oh, I know that song. And you know with the, the vocals um, that, that Chrissy Hind has for this and just that, that voice she has, people think this song is a woman trying to get a man's attention. And it's not. And I never knew that till I looked up the, the, the genesis of it today. She says that what they're really talking about here is she says like a lightweight pop type song, nothing heavy. But it's a, a lines of a guy who feels very insecure. And it's not him trying to get a girl either, but he's trying to be accepted by like the guys down at the pub or the bar. It's putting up a front. It's trying to look good. The, the whole brass in pocket is kind of a throwback to... An English expression for money. It would be like us kind of saying copper and talking about pennies. And it was back when like pocket change actually were worth something. right? There's a lot of stuff in there. Got, a, got bottle is in it, and that's British slang, and it means to have courage. Skank, we, you know, we have a meaning for that in, in America. But in 1979, British slang, it meant to move your body from side to side. Reet in this song means righteous. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's got all this British slang in it that we don't know. But again, when you listen to this song, it sounds like a woman trying to use her body to physically attract a man. And I don't know that I can ever hear it any differently than that because of the voice and the vocals and, and what have you. But the intent of the, the song itself is trying to put up a front to fit in with your friends. 
With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Something